Welcome to Short Take 4, and thank you for continuing tuning in as these episodes recount my trips around the world. We're still in Korea with this episode. We'll continue our discussion from last week, share a story or two, and my experience with Korean customs that are rooted in both tradition and respect of the Korean people. First, let's continue with the story about Joanne's so colorful jacket that you saw in short take three. I thought you would enjoy hearing from Joanne again to share her experience with shopping and how that jacket came to be. Joanne? Let's talk about clothing. I know you're dying to use that photo of me in that wild jacket. And so let me give you some context. Just around shopping, I don't necessarily have a story about coming to meet you. I wore that jacket lots of places because I loved it so much. Um, I tell people all the time that my almost a year spent in Korea during one school year that I took off was one of the best in my life. And clothing shopping was one of the highlights for sure. Um, clothing in Korea was extremely cheap and something that I could afford even on a college student's very limited allowance. Um, there were street vendors all over the place, Itaewon, a big shopping district by day, nightclub district in the evenings, um, was a great place to shop at the time as well. And I was far from home in another country. I was making new friends, living with a host family, and really having the chance to kind of reinvent myself. The whole reason I was in Korea was because I was a year away from graduating with still absolutely no idea what I wanted to do with my life. And the direction that I had been heading seemed like the wrong one, and I needed to reevaluate things. And so self-reflection, living a bit of life and trying to understand and know myself and shopping were the ways in which I was discovering and exploring. And so I was very free to buy clothes that under normal circumstances, I'm sure I never would have bought to try out new styles. Um, I had a wonderful uh, friend who went everywhere with me and would encourage me to try things out. I learned how to bargain and uh, get costs down even lower for my student budget. And that jacket, I don't even remember specifically the day that we found it, but my friend and I both bought matching jackets. And I still have that jacket to this day, as loud and as crazy as it is. It has gigantic shoulder pads because this was the 80s. And um, of course, now I can't really wear it anywhere. But it hangs in my closet and reminds me of one of the happiest times in my life. Thank you, Joanne. Your shopping experience had some similarities to both mine and most visitors that visit Korea. While the, the experiences in shopping has changed since the 1980s to now, some of the aspects you shared are still the same. One thing we all experience is the food. Last week, Joanne also shared her really good story about persimmons and has another story about grapes. I also experienced a similar scenario, so I want you to hear from her in her grape story. I said that I would come back and talk about grapes, so this is a very hopefully short one. I don't ramble on too much. Um, my host family 
bought some grapes and I am familiar with grapes. We've eaten grapes all the time. Um, and so, uh, they brought them and I was so happy to see them, grab them, pop them in my mouth, whole and chewed and chewed and chewed and chewed. And what I didn't realize is that grapes in Korea are not like the grapes that we buy in the supermarket in the United States. They're actually very thick skinned. And after I'd been <laughs> chewing this grape for a while and it was still in my mouth, you know, kind of like chewing just leather or something, I looked at my host family to see what they were doing because I thought, what's wrong with this grape? Why is it not going going away? And why why can't I swallow this? And they were looking at me very oddly. And on the plate in front of them were all of these grape skins. And then they showed me after seeing that I was still chewing the first grape that I'd put in my mouth, that you take the grape and you sort of squish it a little bit into your mouth. Um, because the skin is so thick, you're not expected to pop the whole grape in the way that I had done. Um, they also had seeds, which I had spit out fairly quickly, but it, it was it was just kind of funny. Generally, Koreans don't eat the skin of anything. And obviously for things like melon, you're not going to eat the skin, but even things like grapes, um, apples, they're always peeling. Um, so if you go to Korea and you get grapes, don't just pop them in your mouth like that because you'll end up having to chew for a long time and spit out the skin like I did. Thank you again, Joanne, and for contributing to my podcast. If for those of you who haven't had grapes in Korea, they're larger and maybe the size of globe grapes, and they're fairly dark in color. I found the flesh of the grapes to also have a slightly different texture. Uh, perhaps a comparison is a bit like a soft melon inside. Sometimes I would just swallow the seeds because, well, that's what I do. As Joanne mentioned, whether it's grapes or apples or Asian pears, the tradition in Korea is that many of the skins are taken off, even though we eat those with the skins on in the U.S., I found the skins, like the grapes, are thicker, and that may be one of the key reasons. They're all delicious, though. Whether buying fruits or snacks or side and main dishes on the streets, it is a fun experience. One of my favorites is dried squid, which some Americans are less a fan of. But they are a really wonderful snack. They're a little uh, sweet as well. I could also always get my favorite dish, chapchae, on the street, and it always tasted just a little bit better, uh, probably because it's just a fun thing to do. Another thing about shopping in Korea, especially in the 1980s, was that you could get tailor-made anything, and for a reasonable price. I had a lot of shirts and suits made while I was in Korea, and they lasted for many, many years, decades, in fact, because they're made so very well. The one thing that I really liked the most was a pair of shoes. I had a pair of dress shoes that I actually bought on the street, and they were like wearing slippers. I wore those till they were, they couldn't be worn anymore, and when I threw them away, it was really a very, very sad day. There are so many treasures in Korea. I have some still, of course, um, my little vases. Wooden boxes, which I think are my favorite. They're just beautiful lacquer boxes with designs on the tops. 
And my Korean silverware. Uh, Korean silverware is made of a spoon and a set of chopsticks. And it comes in a set of, I think it's a set of eight or ten. Um, but the one thing that I like the most about shopping in Korea is that you could go almost get anything embroidered on almost anything. You could get it embroidered in English or Korean. And I have many things that have my Korean name on them, like luggage tags and backpacks and hats. And I think it was really special and also quite a talent that they could just freehand embroider anything that you wanted uh, on anything. Shopping in the open markets is a unique experience. You do have to be careful because there will be a different uh, quality levels from store to store. And sometimes you want to be very mindful of that as you compare shop. Uh, not the case as you shop in regular stores or department stores. You can be assured of the quality in those much more safely. I do have a story of when I bought my car, but I'm going to save that for when we get to my journey at Osan Air Base. Now I think we're going to move on to some traditions and customs of Korea, and I'm going to share these based more on my experiences when I was there and when I've been there since I was stationed in Korea in the 1980s. First is the naming convention. Uh, my name is Che Sung-jin. Che is the family name, and Sung-jin would be my first name. And it would be very inappropriate for someone, especially if you don't know that person, to call them by their full Korean name. Normally you would say Mr. or Ms. Kim or Che or just using their surname. Next, as you'll see in many Asian countries, Koreans do bow to each other as a sign of greeting and I think more as a sign of respect. You'll find that many traditions in Korea are rooted in respect for others, especially those who are older, which is something that I wish we saw more of in the United States. Younger to older, and in a professional setting, it'll be a mix of age and position. Um, but generally, a younger person will bow first, or initiate the bow first, and bow a little lower than the older person will bow when they first meet. Um, that's whether it's a family member, friend, or someone that they don't know, especially when you meet someone in a store. I noticed that in rural areas, that both the younger and the older tended to bow much more deeply than they did in the cities. In addition to bowing on meeting, you would also typically bow on exit. Again, that shows the respect of the one person to another. After bowing, especially men, and more so in a professional setting, but not always, they also will shake hands. When you shake hands, you always want to make sure that you support the right forearm with the left hand. Again, showing respect to that person. That is extended as we go into some of the dining customs. And the one I want to specifically talk about is when, uh, pouring, when, when drinks are poured at the table, whether it's alcoholic drinks or other drinks. Generally, you don't pour your own drink. Someone pours it for you, and then you pour for that other person. It is pretty much a tradition that you don't refuse a drink. And so if you don't want to continue drinking too much, uh, you might want to keep the glass more full, uh, taking very small sips, and that way your glass won't be refilled uh, as frequently. There is a trick, and again, as a professional person when I was stationed in Korea, you had to learn this trick because there was generally a lot of drinking, and it included soju, which is a fairly strong or can be strong alcoholic beverage and doesn't have any mixture. It's pure alcohol. It's clear. 
So what you would do is you would go and you sat down and you initially would drink your water to, again, just about halfway so that the water glass isn't refilled. Then, as you took your sip because of a toast or whatever, you would then put keep the liquid in your mouth and as you brought the water glass up, you would slowly release it back into the water glass since they're both clear. And this way, you're not consuming as much alcohol when you really need to be careful about that. But that is just a little trick that we often used uh, when we went out with others. When you're invited to someone's home, it's really quite an honor. Uh, make sure you remember that you always have to take off your shoes immediately on entering. And one thing about Korean, being in Korea is that, well, in America, we sometimes will touch someone on the shoulder and we tend to uh, do that or hug. Um, uh, that's not something you want to do in Korea. Uh, just be mindful about that. Along another sign of respect from one to another, when you're holding or handing something to someone, especially a younger person to an older person, you want to hold it with two hands as you present it to the other person. Oftentimes, out of respect for you, they will also take it with two hands. You'll find this especially when you're in the shops, and if you pay for something, let's say it costs of uh, 6,000 won, and you give them a 10,000 won note, and they hand you change back, they'll hand it to you with both hands on the bills as they hand it back to you, because you are their customer, and they're showing respect to you as they hand back your change. And that's just something that you'll see uh, from time to time, and something that you might want to do as you're in in Korea. As we look at many of the customs and traditions in Korea, and I've only touched on a couple, these are things that you'll find are rooted both in a long history, and more importantly, they show a friendliness and a respect from one person to another. And I think that's really quite an, impression, quite an impressionable thing that you'll walk away from as you visit the country. Today's travel tip is about saving money when you make reservations for your hotel and rental cars. Traveling is fun, and I've traveled well over one and a half million miles. The cost for hotels and rental cars does add up very quickly. My tip isn't always possible, but you can try it when it is. I've saved hundreds, if not thousands of dollars by doing this all around the world. First, with hotels. First, think of when you want to go somewhere and make reservations with refundable hotels that you, as much as you can. You'll find that the, the price will be listed initially as a bit more than the ones that you prepay. That's okay. When you travel, especially internationally, you're going to want to likely make your reservations three to six or even more months in advance. So you have time to take care of this tip I'm going to share with you. Every couple of weeks, you check the price of the hotel. And oftentimes, the price may drop, especially if there's currency fluctuations in the country that you're visiting. So what you want to do is then make a new reservation, again, refundable, and then, after it's made, cancel the other reservation that's priced higher. Because there's no cost to do that, you can do that as many times as you want. At some point, then, you likely want to lock in the price by going with the non-refundable rate, either when you've 
so sure you're going or the price is gotten down to the point that you're very pleased with what you're going to pay for the hotel. What you find is that many times you'll have a significant difference in the price of the hotel. When you travel with a hotel chain that you're a member of, at a certain levels, you will have also perks for upgrades and so forth. So when you have those already, then book the cheaper hotel because you're likely going to get upgraded when you arrive because of your status, especially if you have the highest status. In addition to hotels, some of the other travel sites offer perks. Expedia, for example, it's not difficult to get gold status, but when you do, you get upgrades and free things when you get to that hotel, like discounts on food and so forth. And I've used those many times as I've traveled. When, you come to, when it comes to rental cars, you want to take the same approach. And I'll give you an example. We were going to South Africa for several weeks, and so we needed a rental car because we were going to travel to the wine country and so forth. Uh, and I was traveling with a South African uh, citizen who, by chance, of course, knew how to drive on the other side of the road, which is what they do in South Africa. I'm not comfortable doing that. So we initially rented a car, and we had a moderate-priced uh, car uh, for a fee that was what we thought was reasonable. By the time we made the final reservation change, and we made probably four or five over the course of time before we went to South Africa, the cost was nearly cut in half, and we ended up riding in an E-Class Mercedes. So as an example, I'll tell you, you can usually get a better deal and a lower price if you use this tip. Um, I think you'll find it to be most useful. Until next time, have a super week. Episode 12 will come out on Thursday with the shock and awe of arriving at basic military training and starting my Air Force career. You won't want to miss it. The Boy in the Trash Can podcast is a production of CSJ Associates.